Amen. You may be seated. As some of you know this, uh, I actually uh, was academically released uh, from a college. It's part of my story. Cal State San Bernardino. Uh, I still have that letter if you want to see it sometime. So there are times where I don't know if I feel like the smartest person in the room. But I believe very deeply that there's something happening uh, today for us, Lake Avenue Church. Uh, so when my alarm doesn't go off, and it normally does, that's awkward and interesting. When a microphone doesn't work, that's also interesting. When I open up my notes and they're all over the place missing a page and I put them in like I do every other week, that's interesting. I believe God has a word for us and I don't know exactly what he is going to stir in your heart and in your mind, but I believe it's an important word for us. His word's always important for us, but today especially, I think there's something he wants to say to us, Lake Avenue Church. And so we're going to jump into the text, and I pray that if you're a praying person, that you would intercede during this message, but you would also keep your heart and mind open for what the Lord might have to say to you. It seems to me that if what we're talking about today is obedience to Christ, and that our obedience to Christ is the very thing that manifests back to God how much we love him. If our obedience to Christ is translated into our witness to the gospel in this world, that maybe, just maybe, there's a message of obedience that he wants us to hear. We'll be in John 14, verses 15 to 31. If you have the scriptures and you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Jesus speaking the entire time. No, just one part, he's not, sorry, 22. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching, and these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. and Do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. And if you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The past few weeks and the next coming weeks, we are in this upper room discourse. This is important. Much of what we're familiar with in Jesus' teaching is out in the public space. We're familiar that as he taught the ways of God, crowds would come. But we have this great gift in the book of John where Jesus' life slows way down and for chapter after chapter after chapter covers the last days and hours of Jesus' life. What we've just read in John 14 is a very exclusive moment with Jesus. That's not popular. It's not popular to, to say this is a narrow teaching. But it's just Jesus with his disciples, minus one at this point, the one who will betray him. One would argue, and I think we see this in our own lives, if you know your days are limited, your conversations with those you love matter all the more. I watched a movie uh, a couple of weeks ago and found myself in tears as in uh, the uh, a, young, a young family, the mom had passed away from cancer, and the dad opens a drawer where she had written letters for every milestone in these kids' lives, for your 16th birthday, when you go to prom, when you get married, when you go to college, your first job, when you become a, a parent. Because when you know you're leaving, you want to lay down the most important, loving things you can to those you love. This is a locker room talk. This is Jesus with his disciples giving his final words, in essence, in a private space. When it says, come now, let us leave, leave, they will, to the garden where they will, and you know how the story goes. This is a narrow teaching this is a narrow audience, and there presents challenges for all of us listening to this today. And I'm encouraging you to listen to the words of Jesus and also think about where you might fit or not fit into the narrow teaching. This is a private conversation. This is for those who say they know and love Jesus. And, and, and specifically within those who know and love Jesus, those, this is for those who say, I want to obey you. I want to love you back, Jesus. This is a message of obedience for those who love Jesus, not obedience for the larger society. 
These words of Jesus fit within the context of people who know and love Jesus and are seeking prayerfully to obey Jesus with their life. They are not words that we take as people in that narrow category and then put them out into the general population and say, if you love Jesus, then your nation, your school, your fill-in-the-blank will do the commands of Jesus. There might be other teachings for that, but not this one. This is not a uh, language that gives us general categories for good religion or civil religion. This is not a universal teaching and promises and applications for anyone. This is for disciples. And although this teaching is, is, is specific to disciples, its invitation is always universal. It's for anyone who wants to come to Jesus. And so what does that mean for us today? It means we need to consider where we are. For some of us, our understanding and rhythm with Jesus looks more like religion than relationship. For some of us, and I know you're here, you're trying to figure all this out. And you're not sure about trusting Jesus or believing the words of Jesus. And I pray you would, you would sense an invitation into something beautifully freeing in the words of Jesus in this teaching. But I think, I think in this particular moment for us, Church of Jesus Christ, understand that when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, what he's not saying is, if you love me, do you agree with my commands? If you love me, do you, do you like what the Bible says about A, B, C, and D? He's not saying, if you love me, just show up to church every week. He's not saying, if you love me, you'll do religious things. He's saying, if you love me, you'll obey me. And so my prayer is that we would listen in because this caveat, if we're honest, we start right at verse 15 in words you probably don't want to hear in any other context. If you're dating someone and they say to you, if you love me, you'll do what we would all say, there's, there's, there's some danger in language like this. Far too often, love gone wrong manipulates love and says, if you love me, you will. And it's far too easy to take our messed up conceptions and our own experiences of manipulative love and put it on Jesus. Because what he is not saying is if you do something, then I will love you. He says, I love you. I love you. And if you love me back, you'll obey me. There was a, a girl I liked when I was 20 years old. And I was walking around with her and we were beginning to talk a little bit. And she kept commenting every time she saw a pair of Doc Martin shoes. And they're back now, apparently. And I took it as, I need to get a pair of Doc Martin shoes. If, if I've got a shot at this relationship, I mean, is she just randomly pointing out these shoes that all the guys are wearing all the time? And I saved my money and I bought my shoes because in my brain it said, if I have these shoes, then I've got a shot at a relationship. I don't know what your Doc Martins are with the Lord. 
But far too often we make following Jesus a, that's legalism. If I do these things, then God will. That is not what's happening in this text. He loves them to the end. He's already washed their feet. He's already gotten near their mess. He's already transformed himself into a servant. He's going to die for them in mere hours. His love is not conditioned on what they do, but rather loving Jesus is this beautiful response, this opportunity you and I have to respond to the love of God. It's not a condition for the love of God. If anything, it's evidence of our love of God. See, God's love for us is manifest in Jesus Christ. And what we learn in this this scripture, and we're gonna dig into it in a moment, is that our love for God, our love in response to the love of Christ for us is manifest in obedience. It's a response. It's not a standard to attain. It's a gift to receive. Obedience without grace is legalism. Obedience in response of the love of God is faith. So it begs the question, Pastor Chuck helped us, what does it mean when Jesus says, you'll keep my commands? It's why we need his word. That's why we read about what Jesus says and how he teaches and we wrestle with the teachings of Jesus and we hold the scriptures as the authority in our life. We believe that the Bible is the very place in which we find this way of living God calls us to. And in all of its comprehensiveness, I mean, we could spend the next many weeks talking about what it means specifically to obey Jesus, but just a couple of thoughts. Generally, one that that is a trap for all of us all the time over all of history, and don't buy the lie that it's somehow starting now is when we obey God and we believe that God's commands are found in his word, whether we like the commands or not, whether we agree with them or not at a human level, it's the commands of God that we submit our lives to. And for all of human history, people, human beings, read the words of God and are able to kind of self-select or pretend things don't say the things that they do, And we don't get that option when we believe that the commands of God are found in Scripture and the teachings of Jesus, whether they're popular or not, whether they are are, uh, fun or not, whether they affirm what a culture says or not. We're to obey the commands of God. But Jesus himself speaks to this so many times because obedience and following God is something within us. I believe that we're, we're created to do. And Jesus several times was asked how and which commands. And, and I know there's so many ways you want us to live, but God, what, what are the big points? So as Chuck reminded us, it was just a chapter earlier. In the same locker room talk, Jesus says to his disciples, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And listen to this, church. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I feel like the church of Jesus Christ could just memorize and work out this verse. We might see more people come to faith. The way we love one another is connected to the world knowing who God is. 
And ask yourself this question right now. How well are the people of God just within ourselves loving one another? In Matthew 22, a Pharisee came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So, so hear this, obedience, and we'll talk very specifically because obedience feels to some of us like a mountain to climb. And what I'm going to argue and put forth is what we see in this teaching from Jesus is that obedience should be the most free experience in our life. It's not something we have to do to get the love of God. Remember, it's in response to the love of God. And while obedience to God and his word and this scripture as a 43-year-old man is a dynamic relationship where if I go back 10 years, what I thought was obedience might have been tweaked a little bit, but as I grow in my knowledge of God, my obedience ought to grow as well. And so while we have obedience in situations and particulars throughout the scripture that we cannot remove, we have to wrestle with and we have to decide if we're going to be obedient or not, it's pretty fail-safe to say, to, full, to, to really love God, to keep his commands, will require us to love the Lord and to love others. And here's the crazy thing. Why does that sound so cliche to so many of us? Why doesn't that have the teeth that, that Jesus seems to put behind it? Yeah, yeah, love God, love others. But what about... There's teeth, there's a centrality to obedience when we, when we put the Lord first in our lives and then we respond in love to one another. So as we go through this text, let's recognize, let's recognize, this is a narrow teaching. Let's recognize that all of this is based on God's dramatic and beautiful and ridiculous love for us and it's not that Jesus is saying obey my commands so that I will love you he's saying I love you you get an opportunity an invitation to respond in obedience to my love and it's in your obedience to me that we will manifest to the world who I am and we will grow my church I, I've been doing this a long time in some respects and I think there's some challenges to the very word obedience to God and to his word. One, I think inside of so many of us, we view obedience like a mountain we have to climb, a peak we have to get to. It's about work and effort, and it's really hard. And yes, it is at times. But that is doing obedience. Again, legalism. Obedience inside of the believer, and I think what Jesus promises in the verses we'll get to, is a promise of presence and relationship and of journey with God. Not a mountain to climb to come reach the deity, but a friendship and a relationship in which we live out life with God. So we've got to get this mountain, this work 
of earning God's love out of our head and recognize that yet again, what Jesus is saying to his disciples is a unique reality for a follower of Jesus, different from every other religion. Obedience is a response, not a condition. Obedience as a response to what God has done, not a condition for God to do something. Externally, I'm wondering what our obedience looks like. Again, locker room talk today. And if you're visiting in, welcome. What, what, what are the messages the larger world and culture think about Christians seeking to be obedient to God and God's commands? Well, depending on who you are, what circles you live in, we'll have different answers to that. But I think obedience often is very cranky to the outside world. Obedience sounds really grumpy and angry at times. Man, those Christians, man, grumpy, angry, they just fight with one another, pit one another against one another, post crazy stuff. Obedience to God, to me, instead of the beauty we will see in this scripture, in this teaching, internally we battle this mountain, this doing, and externally we have to recognize that we have noise that surrounds us, and it's very grumpy and angry at times, very accusatory. And the reality is what Jesus, Jesus makes a whole bunch of promises in these verses. We're going to look at three of them. And when we really sink into the promises that Jesus gives us, promises of obedience to his commands, it should be anything but a mountain. It should be anything but grumpy. So look at with me just three promises briefly. Jesus promises in verses 16 to 18 that we're not left alone to figure out obedience to him. Jesus promises that we're not left alone to figure it all out. Listen to what he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Verse 21, or verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 21, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and show myself to them. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my father will love them and I will come to them and make our home with them. This is, of course, the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is also where we see the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity just pouring out of this text the three-in-oneness of our God that exists in loving relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, and you and I are invited into this loving relationship. Obedience to Jesus' commands isn't a father who says, now do what I've told you to do, now, and, and find me when you finished your list. No, no, he promises his very presence to indwell and live within us as we go about seeking to respond to God's love in obedience for our whole life. The Holy Spirit translated as counselor, better translated as a person summoned to one's aid, called alongside. This is a specific gift and privilege of the individual indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and it is exclusive to those who call on Jesus as Lord and Savior. And what that means is that, yes, we are called to be obedient to God's ways, and they're difficult and hard at times, but we're never alone. 
that God himself has placed within us his presence. So yes, obedience is difficult, but it's a whole lot more relational than we want it, than we see it often. We are not left alone to ourselves to figure out how to be obedient to the commands of Jesus. He gives us his very presence. Somebody should say amen to that. The second thing I want you to see in verse 26 is that obedience to Jesus, there's a promise here. And the promise, I see it in verse 26, the promise is this is a lifetime relationship. 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So not only are we not left to our own, we've been given the Holy Spirit, we've also been given a lifetime to be obedient. Why does this matter? Followers of Jesus, you cannot get a degree in obedience. You don't test out of obedience. You might be able to test out in other disciplines in this life. Some of you are brilliant. This is a church of brilliant. Even our students are brilliant. And there are a lot of things in sophisticated Southern California that we can be certain about, that we can, we can test out of, but you will never graduate from obedience. Teaching, the promise is that you'll teach us all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. That's not just a one-time thing, cramming for the test of obedience. No, this is a lifetime journey with God, in relationship with God, in us, over a lifetime. Obedience to Jesus is not a test to pass, it's a life to live. And far too often, followers of Jesus, we try to contain the obedience of Jesus into something we can fully hold, fully understand. And if we just measure our life to what we can fully know and fully understand, then all of these other commands that the scriptures call us to don't ever make it. If we can believe that we have, over the course of our life, the opportunity to be obedient to Jesus, I think that's a powerful promise. Don't you love being around Christians? Some of the most faithful Christians I know in our church have been following Jesus 50, 60 years and always willing to say what they're currently learning about the Lord. Praise be to God. I think we get grumpy in our obedience when we think we figured it out. And then we hold everybody else to what we think obedience is. Final promise is in verse 27 and 30. There's a promise of peace in the midst of evil. In verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It's a different way of living. We don't live in following commands with guilt, with shame, being overwhelmed, Although those are very real human feelings, those don't get the main headline in our lives. There is a promise of peace. And verse 30, there's a reality of evil. So Jesus is not teaching some pie in the sky, just be peaceful because everything's going to work out. No, he proclaims very clearly, the prince of this world is coming. The devil is here. And yet he has no over hold over Jesus. Evil is real. And there is a promise that in the midst of difficulty, of evil, 
that the follower of Jesus, that we can obey Jesus in a way where we can have peace and we don't have to be afraid and we don't have to be troubled. Obedience to Jesus is in response to Jesus' love for us. And there's some promises here. We're not alone. We've got a lifetime. And in the midst of the worst situations, there's a promise of peace that can happen. So, so if all this is true, Jeff, why, why are you passionate about this right now? So this is a locker room moment for us. And this is why the microphone not working is really unfortunate. Because we're going to try to do something with a handheld. I came to Jesus in, uh, it's a balloon, so you don't have to worry. I came to Jesus at 13 years old, 12, 13 years old. You know that story? I was at camp. My parents were in the process of divorce, and I met Jesus. And immediately what I learned from my youth pastor, from, from the environment I was in, is that, that to, to really have this faith be secure, for me to really show there should be some change in my life, i.e. obedience. So as a 13-year-old, what did that application of obedience look like? Well, it looked like I had a pretty foul mouth at the time. So I should really stop cussing. So what was breathed into me from God's word and from God's people was to be obedient meant I did not cuss. I was 13 years old. Sexual purity, big struggle, big topic. And I learned that to follow Jesus, that I was to remain pure and my thoughts and my actions and what I viewed and how I viewed women, that mattered. I learned at that time when I was angry and the way I spoke to my mother the anger inside of my heart that I was to respect my mother and I was supposed to, to treat her differently. I learned that I, I was supposed to go about my life telling people to come to youth group, to come to church, to experience the love of God as I did. So I was taught and trained to make sure I shared my faith. Now, in all honesty, these four or five first breaths really influenced me even to today. When I think about what it means to follow Jesus and to be obedient and faithful, the significance of the first four, five, six breaths that the Bible, that the people of God breathed into my life, play a significant way in me understanding where I gauge myself in obedience. So when I cuss, I'm a little less obedient. When I yell in anger, as I did this weekend to my children, a little less obedient. And then to be found faithful, I'm going to let God's word blow back in. And here's what happens. Far too often what we do is we take these few breaths that we've been given early on and we say, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus because this is my story and I can back it up in scripture and this is what it means to follow Jesus. And here's the problem in the church we have today. I hold my story of obedience to somebody else's story of obedience. Somebody else comes to faith and what are the first breaths that the scripture breathes into them or their mentor breathes into them? They might be very different. They might have been in a situation where the first breaths of the gospel were 
uh, that I'm supposed to surrender my, my, my finances to the Lord? I mean, I've never given anybody a dime. Now I'm supposed to give a percentage of my money? Okay. What do you, I, I read in the Bible that when, when there are people suffering, that I'm supposed to go and be near them as Pastor Chuck encouraged. I, I, I understand this word justice and God's justice in a way that, that is different from the way the world uses that. Okay, I want to be faithful. Uh, or, or maybe fill in the, whatever the four or five breaths of somebody else. We tie those off. And here's where I think, and on Easter we're going to look at these words of unity Jesus calls us to. I think we're in a war, church. And not a war with the world, a war with one another. And it's a war of obedience. It says, my obedience is the right obedience and your obedience is the wrong obedience because the breath that God and the scripture breathed in me are not the same breath that God and scripture have breathed into you. And so, so uh, my obedience versus your obedience. And man, that, pastor, you said something that doesn't quite fit in my experience of obedience. And I know you said it was in the scripture, but I've never heard that before. So I'm just going to go find another preacher or another church that reinforces my definition of obedience. And we spend so much time in obedience war with one another. And the whole time Jesus has said, if you love one another, we'll demonstrate to the world who I am. What a great tool of the enemy. To get us fighting with one another over who's more obedient to Jesus. And this is what I believe. And I said it Friday in my update church. I don't know very many churches who have an opportunity that we have. Because we can just be at war over each other's experiences of obedience. And pit one another against one another and leave. Uh, you know, some of you, you know, go to another church for a while, come back. Or what we could be is a church with the widest obedience possibility I know. Because God has brought to us in this community and to one another, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every economic status, every story of who has come to Christ and the unique breath that the Holy Spirit breathes in each one of us to, to cause us to be obedient to Christ. If we could come together and move together and learn from one another. Untie our balloons and let the, the obedience breaths of my life shape your life and yours my life. And recognize that even at times, believe it or not, that sometimes we get breaths pushed in us that actually aren't obedience. And we need to root those things out. So when, when this call that we're going to love Jesus and love him together... It's just so interesting to me that the promise is over a lifetime. The promises of God's presence. The promises that we can have peace in the midst of evil. And I want to live that with you, Lake Avenue Church, as long as God has me here. I want, I want to know your story of how you met Jesus. I want to know how you understand the scriptures. I want to know what obedience looks like for you. And I want to bring that alongside what it means to me. And I want to learn from you. And I want to be in the scripture together. And instead of having war with one another about who's more right, who's more obedient, that we could actually have a shot of how it's going to be in eternity. I mean, do we really believe, do we really believe that in heaven it's just going to be all the red balloons or the orange balloons? That all the churches that are gathered today who call on the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior, who believe in his death, resurrection, death and resurrection, they're going to be, we're going to be together one day. What a great opportunity to get a foreshadowing of that every day, every week in the life of Lake Avenue Church. 
I'm tired, guys. I'm tired of war over obedience. We have a gospel to proclaim to the world. And the, the way that works is in us coming together. We're going to look at this on Easter. Recognize the last prayer Jesus prays with his people is that we would be one. And he's redundant. He goes there three or four times in the prayer for unity of the believers. Because it's in, the, it's in our ability to come together that we proclaim to the world the resurrection. So we want to know why people aren't coming to Christ at the degree we want. I've got all kinds of evidence, archaeology, scientific. The evidence of the resurrection is on us, Lake Avenue Church. It's on us coming together and stop fighting over who's more obedient to Jesus and be in real relationship with one another so that we can have a greater and wider obedience. Lake, I'm going to close with this. My call as your pastor in this moment is to call my life and our lives to obey the commands of Jesus. And there are lots of times those commands are hard. And I don't, and, you, and I know you don't agree with one, and you don't agree with another one, but that's the standard. My job is not to make sure that we obey single small definitions of obedience. We're going for the whole puppy, the whole teaching. And I pray that you'll stay with us on this journey. Father, we need your help. I confess to you the many times in my life where I hold up my understanding of obedience and compare and judge it to someone else's who has the same Holy Spirit living in them. Oh, forgive us, Father, for our our obedience wars, and I pray for a great movement of your Holy Spirit within us, Lake Avenue Church, that we could have a shot at a wider obedience so that all people can find hope in the resurrection of Jesus. God, I pray that it be true in coming weeks that we would recognize the proof of the resurrection is on us as your people. Forgive us, help us, strengthen us, God, so that we can together proclaim who you are as we come together to obey you together. In Jesus' name, amen.